How's everybody feeling today? Good. Let's stand back up if you don't mind. And we'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your people and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your ever-pervading presence that is within us and around us. For truly, as Paul said, in you we live and move and have our being. I thank you for the light and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to give me utterance. And I ask you to open the hearts and the minds of Uh, the people, to hear the mysteries, Lord, that you want to reveal from heaven. And we bless this time and we bless your word to our lives. We thank you that it bears much fruit in Jesus' name. And if you can agree with that, saints, just say amen. Amen. And you can be seated. And we're going to keep looking at Elijah, not my son, from the Bible, 1 Kings. Are you enjoying the series on... Elijah, I've been getting a lot of feedback on it. So, Good feedback. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook... And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And sometime later, the the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath. In the region of Sidon and stay there, I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. All right, come with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything. And a season, everybody say season, and a season for every activity under the heavens. And of course he goes, time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, time to kill, a time to heal, goes through this list. And then in verse 11, speaking about God, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. In its time. So there's a time for everything, and when everything is in its time, it's beautiful. All right, then come with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Last verse we'll look at. It's, is it chapter 6, sir? I just looked at it. Chapter 5, that's my problem. Chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus speaking, he told them this parable, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. And the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. No one, no one, what does that mean in Pueblo? 
What does that mean in Greek? <laughs> Same as English. No one, no one means, no exceptions, right? No one, after having drunk the old, tastes the new and says, oh, give me more of the new. They say the old is better. So, simple message this morning. What do you do when your brook dries up? (laughs) Back to Elijah. God tells Elijah, go to the brook, and there the ravens will feed you. And for a time, for a season, the ravens brought him bread and meat, right? And then it said, and he drank from the brook. And he was supposed to hide himself there. And then it says, after a time, the brook dried up. (laughs) And God said... Go to this region, and I love this part, I've directed a widow to provide for you. (laughs) Now you got to understand, in those days, widows were like the poorest of the poor, right? And so it's you have to think about that. When, When God told Elijah, I've commanded a woman or I've directed a widow woman to provide for you. And there's lots of, we'll get some good stuff out of that. But for now, I want to just keep it simple. What do you do when your brook dries up? Simple answer, it's time to move on. It's really simple. When the brook dries up, it's time to move on. But moving on is one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings, especially if we have to move on from something that used to serve us but no longer serves us. It's hard for us to move on from something that used to serve us that is no longer serving us. And so sometimes we don't even recognize when the brook dries up. Which brings us to what Jesus was saying, that no one having drunk the old immediately desires the new, for they say, what? The old was better. So part of our problem is, and part of the reason that not everything in our life is beautiful is because we do not yet fully comprehend how to change with the seasons. Which brings us to Ecclesiastes. There is a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. The problem is, is that we do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And that's where things become ugly in our life. And sometimes we do the wrong thing at the wrong time because we're stuck in an old pattern that used to serve us, but does not serve us any longer. Or we want to stick with the old wine because we don't like the taste of the new wine. Are you, are you tracking with me? So in Ecclesiastes, it's obvious, right? There's the, the seasons change, whatever. So they would know it's time to plant based on the season that they were in. They wouldn't try to harvest when they were supposed to be planting because they knew that that wouldn't work. So they understood that there was a cycle to things. There was an order to things, right? And so each time a new season came, each time a new cycle came, you had to change what you were doing in order to match and live harmoniously with the cycle and with the season. Now, 
That's obvious when it comes to planting food. It's not so obvious when it comes to the seasons and the rhythms of life. So in other words, here's the issue. If things are going to be beautiful for us, then we have to be able to live harmoniously with the seasons that we are in. And when God puts you by the brook, you have to stay by the brook until the brook dries up. You can't just decide, I'm tired of hiding, and I'm tired of the flesh and the meat that the ravens are bringing me, and I don't like this water anyway because it's kind of muddy, and maybe it has parasites or something in it, and who knows what I'll pick up from it. But that's where God told him to go, because that was the season that he was in. And he couldn't speed up the season to get out of it. See, you thought when I was talking about time this morning and how quickly it goes that you didn't know I was preparing you for the message, right? You you can't speed it up and say, I don't want to be in this season. I don't want to be by this brook. I don't want to be hidden. I don't want to be here. So I'm going to go somewhere else. The moment you do that, you step out of beauty. The moment you do that, you step out of harmony. No longer you harmonize with the cycles and the seasons of your own life. Right? By the same token, when the river dries up, when the brook dries up, you can't sit there and say, oh, but that brook was so good that this is just what God's doing, this is what God's always going to do, or this is what life's giving me, and this is what life is always going to give me. One definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. Can I give you another definition of insanity that I think is even better? Insanity is wanting permanence in an impermanent world. Insanity is wanting or demanding that something be permanent when nothing in this world is permanent. There's a French philosopher that said this, you are not a human being having a spiritual experience or a human being who's trying to have a spiritual experience. Rather, you are a spiritual being who is having a human experience. Now, that is a major paradigm shift. Because oftentimes, our human experience is the first that we have. It sets the patterns in our lives. And when we become awakened to any kind of spirituality, doesn't matter what kind it is. And by the way, spirituality, the way I'm using the term... Uh, has to do with higher level meanings. So it has to do with existential questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What is the nature of reality? What does it mean to be a human being? The moment you start asking those questions, you're setting yourself up for spirituality no matter who you are. Yes? So that's typically what we do. We, 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 we philosophize in that way and try to be spiritual. And maybe we find out there's something else out there. Maybe we find out that we, uh, that there's a spiritual dimension that exists or that God exists or Jesus exists or angels exist or whatever. And we call that spirituality. But the truth of the matter is really this. You are a spiritual being who is having a human experience. And if you can anchor in that, life will become a whole lot easier. Because as a spiritual being, you have an essence out that transcends or is bigger than your human experience. And that essence is eternal. Your personality is part of your human experience. It's not eternal. 
it changes. Yes? If not, maybe you know someone in your family that, wow, you've really changed. Sure. <laughs> right? So in this, when you're born into this three-dimensional world, the whole structure of the human experience, the whole structure of this three-dimensional world of polarities, and by polarities I mean light, dark, hot, cold, good, evil, male, female, everything's in a polarity. The nature of it is transitory, meaning nothing lasts. The nature of it is everything about your human experience you could look at this at this way. When you're born into human experience, you descend into the world of forms. Forms. And everything is transforming. Everything is shifting. Nothing here is stable. Nothing here is lasting. Now, if you want to add a higher level thought to that, when Scripture says that we are the offspring of God, when it says that we are sons and daughters of God, the idea in an ancient culture was that we become co-laborers with God. If you remember Jesus, when he was 12 years old, he went into the temple, and what did he say when his parents found him? Did you not know I must be what? About my father's business. Throughout the Gospel of John, he says... It's the Father that dwells within me. He's doing the works. And the idea is, is that the Son is working together with the Father. That's the idea of what it means to be sons and daughters of God. And also to be eternal. So I want you to think about this. We, I mean, we read this stuff, but we don't really have good concepts of it or healthy, robust concepts of it in most of our Christian traditions. The scripture says that we will rule and reign with him throughout eternity when you get to the end of the book in Revelation. What does it mean to rule and reign with God? And, 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 and by the way, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, we looked at it this morning, says that the worlds, everybody say worlds, not the world singular, the worlds were created by the command of God. So how many different types of worlds exist in various different dimensions of the multiverse besides this very dense realm of matter. Hmm? Yeah, but even solar systems. Okay, so let's do it this way. From a, from a certain point of view of phys- physics, uh, they tell us that only 4% of the what exists exists as material substance so that includes all the solar systems and all the stars 96 percent of the universe exists in dimensions that we do not have the ability to access in these bodies so what about those worlds just trying to make you think a little bit so doesn't it make sense then Okay, let's do it this way too. Something else about the nature of God. Nothing begins as a completed project. That's just a basic fundamental law. Everything goes through a process of seed time and maturation. 
everything. You went through a process of seed time and maturation, right? Nothing begins, everything begins small and progresses and grows. Yeah? What was my point to that? I don't remember now. (laughs) So ruling and reigning. So what if, doesn't it make sense then? What if the reason you're having a human experience is so that God can put you as an eternal being of light into a realm that is dense and transitory so that you can learn to function without messing everything up? How many Star Trek fans do we have in here? How many remember the holodeck? Am I getting this right, Mike? I don't like, like, he's my go-to so far. So the holodeck was what? You could go into the holodeck and run a simulation, right? And what's the purpose of running a simulation? So that you could learn without having everlasting results, right? So what if this human experience is... God's version of the holodeck for his kids. And that's why everything is transitory. So that you can learn a couple of lessons. Number one, you can, you can play with the power of God without obliterating universes or eternally creating things that you don't want to create. Right? Because everything's transitory. And so that you can discover your identity without confusing your essence with the form that your essence is currently taking. Do I need to say that a little better? We, we get the first one, right? About creating stuff. But what about learning to be able to experience and have form without confusing the form with your eternal essence. You should never say, and I say it too, but we should should listen very carefully to our I am statements. You should never say things like, I am depressed. You could say, I'm sad. Well, you really shouldn't say that either. I am sad. You could say, I'm experiencing sadness. I'm feeling depressed. I'm experiencing depression. But see, to say I am depressed is to attach your essence and identity to the form of the emotion that you're experiencing in the moment and it denies the reality that everything exists for a time and for a season and that everything in this world is transitory and nothing in this world is forever. One of the things I always tell a, 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 suicide, a suicidal client, you are applying a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And as painful as it is, and as horrible as it is, this too shall pass. 
But now here's where we have to have sense. Whatever you're in love with, whatever you're experiencing that's wonderful, whatever's bringing joy into your life, whatever's bringing sustenance in your life, is also temporary and is going to pass. And if you try to make it permanent, you will end up creating more pain for yourself when it does pass than you would have experienced if you would have reconciled yourself to the fact that everything dies. Everybody dies. Everything moves from in this ebb and flow of the cycles of life. And somewhere in there you have an eternal essence. And Eliyah, Elijah, represents the eternal essence inside of you, moving into one form, drinking by the brook where there's provision from the ravens, and then out of that form into another form where he goes to another place, and now the sustenance comes from the widow and not from the raven. The stabilizing factor in the whole experience is Eli Yah. So you got to know when your brook is dried up and when it's time to move on. So some of what we're talking about is the principle of resilience. Everybody know what resilience is? Resiliency is very important in life. Very, very important in life. Because resiliency is the ability to adapt to changing conditions in order to thrive in the midst. It's the ability to adapt to changing conditions in order to thrive in the midst. One of the things that debilitates resilience is permanence. So a lot of people do do this, and I, I, I struggled with this. I had to realize this was my pattern when I first heard this. I was like, wow, I do that. And I still catch myself doing it. Anybody have a problem at work, at home? Just think about a problem, a problem. Whatever that problem is, it has a context in your life. If you're having a problem with a coworker, then that problem exists when you go into the form of work. If you're having a problem with a church member, that, <laughs> that problem exists when you come to church. If you're having a problem with a family member, that problem exists when you're at home. You, you get it? <clears throat> a resilient person is able to keep a problem in its context and not make it bigger than what it is. The way that we make it bigger than what it is, is we make the problem pervasive. So we take our first P, which is our problem, and we make it pervasive. So here's how this works. Go to work, coworker or boss says something, puts a depressed spirit and attitude on me, right? The moment I walk out of work, I should leave that depressed spirit and attitude there. If that's truly the cause then that's where it belongs. But we don't do that. What do we do? We take it home. So now we're being grouchy with the wife and the kids and the dog and the, everybody else. And so what are we doing? Now that problem no longer exists with our coworker 
now we've created problems for us at home <laughs> and in our other relationships as well. So what we did was we allowed that problem to pee on us and become pervasive, bleed over into an area that it didn't belong. Yeah, was, you, got, you got it with that image, didn't you? So now it becomes pervasive. So I'm just in a bad mood. Everybody meets me. Hi, I'm bad mood. See how I, I, I took my essence, I took form, and I made it concrete. Right? And then the third thing I do that robs me of resiliency is once I have a problem, then I make it pervasive. And the third thing I do is I make it permanent. This will never change. So I have a problem, I make it pervasive, and I make it permanent, and I effectively peed all over myself. And then I wonder why my life stinks. You get it? So we have to be flexible. We have to understand that everything is beautiful in its time. It becomes not beautiful when I try to mess with the cycles of life instead of harmonizing, harmonizing with the cycles of life, realizing that they are not permanent, yet retaining my identity and essence as a spirit being, as a child of the light and a child of God, and understanding that I'm only embodying these situations and problems and blessings and good times and bad times temporarily the the hindu sometimes I, i'm just finding that other cultures have a better way to language or talk about some of these things than we do in our western materialistic culture especially right like i really appreciate the whole idea of namaste which comes out of yoga and Eastern traditions. And they'll bow and say, Namaste. Because essentially what it's saying is, the divine in me is recognizing the divine in you, and I'm giving you honor based on, I'm able to see past your form to your true essence. What a wonderful way to greet each other. Right? They have a term for this idea of the transient nature of reality. And it's called Maya. Everybody just say with me, Maya. So Maya, let me read you a definition for it because I won't do it justice. It's that which exists but is constantly changing and thus it is spiritually unreal. That which exists but is constantly changing and thus is spiritually unreal so they call maya the illusion maya they call it the illusion so this physical reality is maya got it it's real it exists that which exists but is constantly changing and thus is spiritually unreal because for them to be truly, for something to be truly spiritual, it must be eternal and unchanging. Uh, for it to truly have its root in God, it cannot change because God cannot change. 
I am God, I do not change. Do you get it? And then it says, it's the power or the principle that conceals the true character of spiritual reality. So here's the problem. We have this world of form and image and physical reality in front of us that we are supposed to basically understand is a simulation for us that this human experience is part of our spiritual expansion when we engage it in order to learn. And then trust that whatever lessons life brings us are the lessons that our soul specifically needed in order to expand to the place that God wants us to expand. And understanding that while we're in this school of humanity, that whatever we experience is temporary. And our problem is is when we think that it, it is the reality of things, when we think that it is true, when we think that it is all that there is or all that exists, or we think that it's permanent or pervasive, then we lose ourselves in the illusion and in a certain sense become an illusion ourselves. Then things in our life cease to have beauty. But it's not easy. All right, so back to the brook. And I'm almost done. Back to the brook. It's not easy to let go of what you've been depending upon for your life and sustenance or whatever has been serving you. It's not easy when the brook dries up to make such a drastic change that you go somewhere else. Moving into the unknown, moving into the uncertainty, maybe having an inkling, oh, God said a widow was going to take care of me. Wait a minute. A widow during a time of famine, this isn't necessarily a good thing. And We'll read on in the story later, but he meets the widow woman and he says, make me something to eat. And she tells him what? I don't have anything to eat. I got one cake left. My son and I, I'm going to make it up. My son and I are going to eat it and then we're going to die. So Elijah had to be carrying something in him that had permanence. Watch this. That had permanence in order to apply it to the temporary form in order to get it to conform to what was coming out of him. Or to get it to conform to whatever he needed to serve his need in that moment. In other words, when you're in transition, when the brook dries up and you can't go back to what was, but you're not really sure what's going to be, you have to trust that what you're carrying is so powerful that the seed for the miracle is already inside you and that when you show up, whatever season you're moving into has to conform to the need that you have in that season in order to provide for you. Otherwise, it will not be beautiful in its time. The reason we don't see more miracles is because we end up staying stuck in a reality that has moved on, that has shifted and changed, but we don't have the internal flexibility to be able to let that which was gone be gone. We don't have the ability to let go of what formerly sustained us so that we can have what was coming in, what, what was beginning to emerge into the new. And when we walk into the situation, the situation oftentimes looks less than favorable. Oftentimes it looks like it's not going to be able to provide for us or able to serve us. And at that moment we cower and succumb 
succumb to the form because we think the form is greater than the eternal reality of the Elijah that we are carrying inside our own being. We doubt the light and power for manifestation that is inside of us as children of God and we put more faith in the form or the mountain and think I have that the form comes first. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the form is what's important. That I become dependent upon the form rather than the form being dependent upon me. And when I become dependent upon the form, I forget that it's serving me and I begin to serve it. And the moment I forget that it is serving me, I can't let go of it when it dries up. So I start digging, trying to find there's got to be more water. This brook was producing water for the last six months, the last 10 years, the last 12 years, whatever it's been for you in your life. And there's got to be more. So I hope against hope and dig against hope, trying to make a relationship work when the relationship is over, trying to make a job work when I should have moved on a long time ago into a new job, trying to make some, trying to make something out of nothing because I'm stuck in a form, not realizing that I actually do have the potential to bring something out of nothing if I let go of the form and have faith in my own eternal being and what I'm carrying and realize that miracles are not they're not magic. Miracles are something that I'm carrying inside me. And when I harmonize with life and I move into a new reality, then I have the ability to change that reality and bring life where there is death. And I want to tell you that the widow needed Elijah as much as Elijah needed the widow because she was about to make a cake and her and her son or her future were going to die. But Elijah had to show up in her life. So can I tell you to be consistent with where we've been going in these messages that Elijah represents the higher self while the widow represents the lower self who's stuck in a form. The widow represents the lower self, which cannot draw power from the spiritual dimension. The widow represents the person who is a human being thinking that they're having a spiritual experience and has forgotten their spiritual higher self. So when Elijah shows up, he connects the higher self with the lower self. The masculine principle with the feminine principle, that which is able to penetrate an environment in order to produce change with that which is able to receive it and incubate it and bring it forth so that the divine self and the human self come together in the place called Zarephath in order to bring something out of nothing from the higher dimensions to feed and serve both for the season in which God has called you to manifest. Through faith. So, where in your life has the brook dried up? What once served you but is no longer serving your needs that you need to let go of in order to move on? Or, what is, or, so you can find yourself in two different places. Your brook is dried up and it's time to move on and you're clinging to the old. You're not ready for the new wine because you say the old is better. This whole principle runs throughout Elijah, so much so that when John the Baptist is born, John the Baptist is what? He is the forerunner. He's the one who goes to do what? Prepare the way for the Lord. He's a voice 
crying in the wilderness, he is not an echo. And our problem, our real problem, is we have too many echoes and not enough voices. Because an echo can only repeat what has been. It's always operating off of the patterns of the past and finds the safety in the echo, but the echo itself is an illusion because it's not coming from a living being. But that which is living, that's why there is a certain value in going back to the ancient contexts of Christianity and the scriptures. But if we try to reproduce it, all we're doing is trying to live in the illusion of that which is an echo. We have a living faith and a living tradition. And what we need more than anything are people who know how to be a voice, who know how to carry something and resonate with a sound that maybe hasn't been heard before. And so therefore it may not be popular because people are content to drink from the old wine and the old wineskins because no one one having tasted the new desires the old for or, um, no one having tasted having drunk of the old desires the new after they've tasted it for they say that the old is better so what happens is is god will try to raise up voices and they'll speak in the context of the old and there will be space <laughs> empty space <laughs> which is which is actually space for that which is new And if we can stay with it long enough, eventually that which is new will begin to manifest. So therefore, John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way. He is a forerunner and he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So therefore, he has to come in what? The spirit and power of Elijah. So sometimes when you're making a move, not everybody's going to celebrate you. Sometimes when you're making a change, not everybody is going to understand you, but it's time to move on anyway. Now, the flip side of this coin is is that you could leave your brook too soon. Get tired of that same old pattern and same old routine. But it's still serving you. There's still a lesson. There's still a provision. So you have to know the time. So, great, Aaron. How do I know the time? Is there a book like, you know, is there a book I could go read? Like, there's dream symbol books, right? And there's there's a book for everything. The truth is, you can't find it in the book, but listen. If the salmon knows when it's time to swim upstream, and the geese know when it's time to fly south, because of their own internal guidance system, then how much more you, who comes from the light and who is a child of God, how much more do you already have your own internal guidance system that if you will take the time to extract yourself from the forms, in other words, I quit thinking about it merely from the standpoint of Is this working? Is this not working? Is this serving? Is this not serving? Is this what I want? Is this not what I want? Is this good? Is this bad? I need to get counsel on this. Somebody needs to tell me. Somebody needs to give me advice. I need confirmation. I know, Lord, if this is your will, then you're going to cause, you know, when I look up, you're going to cause five stars to be in a row. 
in the heavens and a little feather is going to drop down. And when I see that feather, then I know for sure that this is you, God. Okay, maybe your little confirmations aren't that extreme, but I need some kind of confirmation. I need some, some kind of confirmation. Do you realize when you're doing that, you're becoming dependent on the world of form rather than inhabiting and moving from the place of eternity? So at some point, you have to trust your own intuition. At some point, you have to trust your own internal guidance system. And listen, here's the thing. That doesn't mean that you won't make a mistake. But you are much more likely to get out of your life the lessons that you are meant to learn. And you are much more likely to be able to harmonize with the seasons in your life so that you walk into beauty if you listen to your own voice and make your own mistakes than listening to somebody else's and making somebody else's mistakes. There's too many of us making somebody else's mistakes. Therefore, we're learning lessons that weren't even intended for us. They were lessons that were intended for someone else. Because we trust someone else's voice more than we trust our own. And at some point, you just have to make a decision. You're going to make mistakes, but you've got to decide, am I going to make my mistakes, or am I going to make somebody else's mistakes? Because if I'm too dependent on counsel, and I'm too dependent on external confirmation, and I'm too dependent upon what other people think about whether or not to tell me whether I'm right... I will go by their voice, end up making their mistake, and learn lessons from those mistakes that don't even serve me. So I'm not at the brook, and I'm not in Zarephath. I'm somewhere I was never meant to be, feeling disconnected and lost, because I've been living a second-hand life, letting everybody else tell me what's right for me. So you have to recalibrate and go inside where you know just like the salmon knows it's time to swim upstream and the geese know it's time to fly south you have your own internal guidance system that no matter how far you've gotten off you can get back if you start listening to it and if you take a wrong turn guess what God has a global positioning satellite system that will recalculate your course and keep sending you internal signals even when you've made mistakes and gotten off course to recalculate you to get you back to where you need to be. But at some point you got to have the confidence in yourself to make decisions, stand on your own two feet and let the chips fall where they may. And then trust if everything goes bad there's something here for me to learn that my soul needs in order for me to grow so that I get out of this life everything I'm meant to get out of this life and I don't save anything for the next life. Some of us play it too safe. Most of us play it too safe. It's time to move on. Bow your heads. Let's just take a moment and uh, just practice going within. We're doing meditation <clears throat> in lieu of worship in the first service. It's very important for 
And we've, we've got the meditation conference coming up, which I'm really excited about with, with Sonia. It's really, really important for us to learn how to be able to tune inward. And that's the essence of all meditation. It doesn't matter how you do it. The point is, when you're in meditation, you're turning inward and you're being, you're able to identify with more clarity that internal guidance system that's, that's built into you. Does it make sense? So I want you to just take a minute and be aware of the fact that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. And I want you to be aware of the fact that the light of God is inside you, that you are a child of the light, that you come from the light, that you are light in the Lord, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. Just by affirming that, you begin to recalibrate your internal guidance system. (laughs) I am light. I have the light. The light is in me. I come from the light. I am light. I have light. I don't have to look outside myself. It's in me. Just that simple affirmation will change your whole life. Now, somewhere else inside you, God has placed the courage to make a change. It takes courage to leave the brook when the brook has dried up. It takes courage to move on from something that's no longer serving you like it served you in the past. It takes courage to move into an unknown future that's full of uncertainty, believing that your miracle is going to meet you at the point of your need. It takes courage. And somewhere inside you, you have that courage as well. Somewhere inside you, you have that strength. There's an Elijah, an Elijah inside of you. It's all there. So sometimes just affirming that makes all the difference. I have the light, I have the knowledge, I have the guidance system, and I have everything within me that I need, all the courage everything within me to meet the challenges, everything I need within me to face the future, everything within me that I need to change the form into something that will serve me so that my miracle will show up when I get there. And then besides that, you have a whole angelic host, a whole team of spiritual beings that are upholding you and supporting you and helping you. You have God himself whose hand is guiding you and leading you. For in Him you live and move and have your being. One of the good things that St. Augustine said, I I harp on Augustine all the time for the bad stuff that he did to us, but one of the sayings of St. Augustine that I love is he said, God is closer to me than I am to myself. And I want you to just have that thought this morning, that God is closer to you than you are to yourself, no matter how far off or how distant God may seem. At every moment... God is closer to you than you are to yourself. He is an ever-present, he or she, however you want to think about God, is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Isn't that good news? And that right there is just good news. Let's stand up, if you would. Why don't you just lift your hands. I want you to just give thanks. I want you to just let uh, thankfulness come out of your heart towards God, that God is closer to you than you are to yourself, that He is supporting you and nurturing you in every step that you take. 
and that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that it says in the Psalms that he who abides in the secret place of the Most High, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my shield and my buckler and my God in whom I trust. And there no evil shall befall us, nor shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. Only with our eyes will we see and behold the reward of the wicked. We don't have to fear the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness. For you give your angels charge over us. They bear us up in their hands, lest we strike our foot against the stone. And we shall trample upon the lion and the serpents. And they will become ashes under the soles of our feet. And in the day of trouble we shall call out to you. And you will hear us. And you will deliver us. Because you have set your love upon us. And with long life, you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. And so, Father, with the words of the psalmist, we just say thank you. And we trust your promises. We trust your guidance. We trust your leadership. We trust the spiritual team of angels and beings of light that you've brought around us, that are with us, that have charge over us, that are here to support and help and guide us. And we draw upon all those resources, but never forgetting that because we come from you, the truest counselor, the truest voice that we can ever listen to is the voice of our own heart and our own spirit, which is in harmony with who you are because we come from you. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you can agree with that, saints, just say amen. God bless you. Aren't you thankful for our musicians and to have that again. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great day.